Hello, I'm Derek Wheatley and welcome to episode 191 of the Weekly Weekly Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us wherever you are doing so. Eagle-eyed viewers may notice a slightly different background. I'm normally sitting in this very small room with, a, with some movie posters behind me. I lugged my, my podcast equipment through the very wet streets of Dublin yesterday uh, because I wanted to come up and get a few days away. But obviously I had this podcast lined up and I thought it'd be a perfect time to kind of bring it into a slightly different environment so yeah I'm, I'm not in my own place as you can see i didn't buy somewhere new um i want to thank andrew barr for coming on last week uh, a lot of lads who i train with and um, will know andrew through uh, mma and he's opened up that new gym in, in balance low the king's court academy and uh yeah trains very hard and i'm delighted to say his, his gym's going well the first couple of weeks so uh, fair play to andrew you can support us and buy me coffee if you like. And uh, let's get into our guest this week. She's a physical therapist and performance coach, Fiona Myrna. How are you doing, Fiona? Good. Thank you very much for having me on. It's You're good. welcome. Did I did I pronounce your second name correctly? You did, actually. Yeah, Myrna. Yeah. It's just because I should have asked before. I normally, like, because I got someone's name wrong before. It's the most mortifying moment of the, the whole podcast, I'll be honest. And it's just because, you know, the way if you're in, maybe if you're in Cork, it's, Myrna <laughs> maybe if you know what I mean <laughs> they they differ but yours I got yours right yeah I get a lot of Myrnags though so I was, that's very impressive you didn't pronounce the G yeah I, I would avoid the G I'd say I'd, like maybe because it's you know in a, in a number of names and it's in like you know yeah. is it in Fermanagh am I spelling that right in my head yeah okay, yeah. yeah so there's, there's that so maybe that's what I got me away with it but I, anyway I winged mm-hmm. it really but uh <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on, obviously. And listen, um, we always start at the beginning, Fiona. Um, can you give us a short history of your upbringing, please? Yeah, so I grew up in Dunboyne, County Mead. And when I was growing up, it was like a little village where there were, you kind of knew everyone. Everyone knew everyone, so it was a bit gothy. But it's actually since grown quite a bit. And it's more like, you know, a little town now. It's got the train station put in, the secondary school, loads more houses. So it's, a lot, it's, it's thriving now and uh, just a lot more people in it. But um, so growing up, it felt really nice. We'd be um, playing outdoors a lot on the street and stuff. I had two older sisters, one younger brother. Um, we had a lot of freedom from our parents, which was great. And we would, um, that's kind of the main thing. I think growing up, I felt like I didn't want for anything, but it wasn't really like we had a lot of money either. So mm-hmm. it was that kind of like atmosphere of like, I was grateful for everything at the same time as not feeling like I was ever limited is what I could do and um, so it was really nice in that regards and um, family dynamics uh, my poor younger brother I always think with three older sisters just telling him what to do all the time <laughs> I think he's a little scared from that but otherwise uh, pretty good family arguments were normal my older sisters would kind of fly off the handle a little bit at each other my parents would also not be afraid to uh have the odd argument or whatever but it was kind of just a very happy we're still all close as well still a very happy family uh, upbringing and so that was kind of what it was like if, if I didn't ramble too much in different directions there <laughs> not at all not at all it was it um that kind of sporty family would you say yeah um so it, yeah and it's different for each of us my next elder sister Ema, she would have been as competitive as me then my eldest sister Linda just didn't like the competitive element. And then my younger brother, it just depended. He's just, 
a bit like eh, he's kind of got a lazy streak in him or if he's in the moment he's competitive but it's hard to motivate himself my mom loves sports and she would have been shouting at the tv at every kind of sport wimbledon and horse racing rugby big one and um, ga so like we grew up with her <laughs> shouting at tv and then being at our games and shouting at us <laughs> if we were playing as well and um, then my dad was big into karate he got so he, knew, he had a wardrobe full of trophies and stuff. So growing up, he was really good at that. Um, and he, he did it until um, well, for as long as he could, basically. Um, so definitely a lot of sports in the, in the family of interest. That's good. I was thinking like, well, obviously you are quite sporty, which we'll get into. But it's kind of interesting looking back on the kind of the family things and where it came from. And, you know, that and not, a, not just sport, I suppose. And something else you mentioned, that kind of competitive thing as well, because it's it's kind of very it really depends. Like my dad and my two brothers would be very competitive, whereas myself and my mom wouldn't be competitive at all and, and would kind of, well, I couldn't speak for my mother, but definitely for me, it's kind of, if a competition or something competitive comes into the sport that I'm doing, I'd kind of just back away from it a little bit. I'd become a little bit like, oh, that's, the fun's gone out of it. Like it's not supposed to, but I think it's not supposed to be like that for me. So, when I'm doing the sports I'm doing now, I just enjoy them in in you know the actual the actual aspect of turning up, getting it done, enjoying it, getting the 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 takeaway from it, like like everything you know you get the takeaway from it, but never going ah, oh, you know I missed out on that there and I'm I'm livid, but you know it doesn't it doesn't go it doesn't come into me. But I'm always fascinated talking to people who are competitive for for uh, well for a number of reasons. Another thing we always ask uh, Fiona is about um, when you first became aware of mental health. Yeah, I do. You know, I'm not sure exactly what the timeline is. I just know around my ad- adolescence, a few things happened that would make me aware of it. One of the bigger things, I suppose, of just awareness, but not direct contact with it would have been my mom having a good friend. She worked with them and she would have um, been going to, into work with them from the train station stuff because where I live and stuff. So, but he was a depressed alcoholic. So he had um, those issues and um, so you'd hear the odd thing like and just kind of where he'd be having a hard time and then eventually like, she kind of had to phase him out because it wasn't healthy um, the way it ended up. So that was an exposure around, again, I'm not sure of timelines, my adolescence anyway. Um, but then I also remember just being interested in psychology, So mm-hmm. which I think is the same thing. It's just um, understanding how the brain works. Um, so I would have read, randomly I just decided to start reading the books I remember starting off with were like the differences between men and women. Okay. <laughs> and they're just very silly. So I think I was fairly young, like even 14 or so when I was actually picking these up. So obviously I went for like the bright colors and the easy kind of graphics on it and stuff appealing to me. Um, and I don't remember an awful lot from it, but just kind of, I, I've always liked science. So yeah. I, I like scientific reasoning behind everything. That was an easy start. Um, and then, yeah, um, my... One of my best friends, so I played table tennis a lot when I was younger. So I started when I was about eight years old. And my best friend in that uh, round, I'd say again, 16 years of age, maybe, she was diagnosed with social anxiety. So yeah. I was exposed like in that way as well. Um, and didn't have any understanding of it. Like this is before, you know, it's, I think it is much better now. Yeah. Like there's just so much more information. The internet basically um, can be really good for that. So I just like take direction from her and just kind of understand whatever you need like I'm good with that or whatever I don't like, um, I, I just kind of go with whatever you say is yeah. that we need to do or whatever um, but I didn't really understand a lot of what was happening um, and then for myself 
I suppose the big thing again at lessons uh, I went through like my own kind of form of sports related kind of mm-hmm. anxiety I suppose um in that when I was playing table tennis again I would have gone through this little patch where I was young and I was playing uh, as I said from about eight years of age and I got good quickly and then I started winning a lot and I didn't think anything of it um but it was a small sport as well so when I say I'm winning a lot I'm winning like I've been in the same girl but 10 to 12 was probably in all earning competitions at under 12 and it's happened for a few years and you get the attention and stuff and then something happened probably just like hitting puberty and just getting a little bit more self-aware and I suddenly realized I'm supposed to win and am I winning kind of winning mattered more mm. and so then once I started I had my first loss in a final it like hit me hard or whatever and then from there I just had years the rest of my that playing career actually just was a struggle until I had to actually quit and then it was in my 20s I kind of figured everything out from that right and, uh it was kind of retrospective uh kind of self-help yeah <laughs> in a way, just to understand it so that was kind of um a few ways in which I was exposed to it. yeah the- <laughs> An interesting thing you touched on there was was to do with psychology and how you start reading about psychology. I think it's so. It was, I was actually just weirdly enough, well, not weirdly, but I was talking to someone last night about psychology, and I was talking about this podcast as well. Um, in general, about like mental health and you know the connections, obviously, between the two, and um, maybe about you know how it's introduced to schools, mental health. And look, I was talking to people who are a lot younger than I am, who are just out of school, we'll say and who had been introduced to it in certain ways as speakers come in. But I, you know, I'd be interested to see, you know, are they linking the two together? Is there like some part of the educational, you know, um, curriculum that they are talking about psychology? Because it would be fascinating for for students to learn, um, you know, the background to their own psychology and to psychology in general, but also like the maybe the trigger points that might come with, with like your friend, like social anxiety, for instance, being one, but like, you know, depression and everything else that goes along with that. I just think it'd be really interesting to to add into schools. Definitely. Like, I think uh, it's it's so overlooked because if you can't manage your own internal dialogue, say, mm. very well, then how how are you going to be successful? Like you're minimizing or limiting, sorry, the success that you can have with everything else. Yeah. So it just makes complete sense to work from the inside out, I guess. Yeah. And like, and, and, you know, I don't know, like, obviously they may be doing that, but it's just the way you, you, there's not many people of, you know, your age at the time picking up books about psychology. It's just not a done thing, which is brilliant that, that, that you were doing it. And, and I'm sure there's people probably, listen to this going well that's not true but you know what I mean I'd say in the percentage wise it's in the low that are, are doing it um so physical therapy like what was it that you know got you interested in that why did you want to become a physical therapist well originally I did analytical science in DCU and I ended up working in pharmaceutical companies as a quality control analyst and I hated it <laughs> and I hated it from year one and I knew I have to find out what other career I want to do so I spent a few years trying to figure out, I was like, do I want to be a teacher? I want to do this, that, or the other. And then um, because it would be so difficult to go back and pay full fees and not work at the same time and everything, um, eventually I was like thinking, oh, yeah, and also I love sport. Yeah. <laughs> and so initially the reason I didn't do a kind of uh, career choice that was in sport was kind of a really silly reason. I just thought that, well, I want to keep sport as my hobby, and then maybe I'll pick a job where I kind of use my mind a bit more or just where it has a different 
different kind of um, challenge intellectually, mm. essentially. But I, I, that was kind of silly <laughs> and looking back. But uh, nevertheless, I ended up then finding this course that would run over three years on weekends so I could work and pay for it and do it at the same time. And I realized after I tore my ACL is what the big moment was. Okay. So I tore my ACL, going through the rehab for that. And the physical ther- physiotherapist I had at the time, um, Mark McCabe, he was just really good at explaining things along the way. And then I realized, oh, there's a whole lot of science behind this. And then, as I said earlier, I really like science. So like that really got me intrigued. And then I was like, and I really like the strength conditioning side of it too. So I knew from then like the, the end product that I wanted to be or the end kind of person that I wanted to be with that career move. So I found that course and then uh, started studying strength conditioning myself as well, because you could do it a little bit more self-directed and take an exam at mm-hmm. the end that I did um, and get qualified that way. And then I did an internship and other little kind of weekend certs as well, just to back it up some more. Oh, yeah. Like when I was growing up again, you know, the naivety of it, uh, you know, say I was really into football when I was young and a professional footballer gets injured. Maybe they tear the ACL and they're out for nine months. And my thought process was so they don't do anything for nine months and then they're they're back. There's no there's nothing happening in the meantime. And then they come back. So when I got injured and again, it was um, I had a slight shoulder thing, but then I had a tear in the meniscus. So so I was kind of like. Very frustrated, obviously, you know, having to miss training and things like that. But I went to um, a pain and movement specialist in Athlone who's been on this podcast and he's he's brilliant. But he he started talking to me about pain and the idea of um, just pain in general and how we think about it. And I was fascinated by this, like, you know, um, I had never thought about it in in the way he was uh, explaining it to me. And he kind of mentioned about the approach to injury for him was, you know, you don't obviously just stop. You still work around it. You just, you do certain movements and then, uh, you know, if they feel all right, come back to me next week and then we'll try and pick it up a little bit. And all this kind of thing was just breaking it down for me. And I've seen that in your videos on Instagram as well, the kind of different movements that you do. Um, When someone comes to you then, like with something like, say, an ACL, like what is your approach to 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 pain and, and, and kind of rehabilitation? Yeah, so um, it's really different for every person. It depends on where the or what the injury or issue is. So if it's a really clear thing, like uh, they've had an ACL operation, it's easier because they know exactly what they're working with. They know exactly what's happened and they're bought in because they realize they've been cut open. They could barely walk on their leg. It's very clear to them that they need to work hard to actually get back to normal. And if they want to play their sport as well, there's so much talk fish in terms of like an ACL as well. And um, so that they know what the path is ahead of them really already. And yeah. there's no other people who have gone through it because it's such a common injury as well. When you get somebody else who maybe has back pain and their scans aren't showing anything, and uh, then you've got a totally different situation on your hands. And um, you've got to really, really help them kind of try not to find the diagnosis because it's like, listen, there's just, it's non-specific back pain is literally the diagnosis for a lot of that case and those cases. So you're trying to help them see what, where their power really is, where, what they can control, what they can influence and how their reaction to their pain is going to influence their recovery or not. So, but it's, it's tough because it's not like there's nothing there it's mm-hmm. just that it's the back is getting stressed out sometimes with movement patterns or with too much of a certain activity. 
and it's just a balancing thing so it, it though the mind is totally involved the body is also involved so you're trying to manage it from both angles so it's really important that the person feels like educated about what's going on knows what they can control and influence um, and then feels positive about the path moving forward so you need to kind of really reassure them with a good plan i think and understanding well we're going to try and get you doing this first of all and if you can't do that like that's that's our limiting factor so we have to get you past this so then we can move on to this and then when you can do all this you should be in a way better place that pain could come go come go could stay for a long time at the start we don't know when that pain is really going to change so i can't give you that answer but we're just going to focus on the actual movements and what you can do physically most of all and then work with things as they, as they happen and just deal with them yeah i think i think like the approach that people have towards um you know injuries and pain i mean people who aren't like you know trained like yourself but i just mean you know people who have injured themselves um out running or whatever it might be is to either plow on <laughs> just keep yeah. you know d- d- get a calf injury just keep plowing on i'm speaking from experience recently <laughs> uh, but but that idea of like i've got something you know in the future that i'm training for so i'm just going to try and plow on and get to that event which like 99% of the time is going to fail like miserably you know but and then I think the other approach is obviously to, to you know, sit back and, and, and do nothing. Because I think um, people, uh, when, I, when I was speaking to Kieran about this, like, you know, people don't think of uh, physical therapists straight away that will come into their head to help them. It's it's like, I'll just, I'll get a massage. Like, and, and look, massages have their own place as well. And they're great. And I love, I love a good massage, but it's not the same thing. It's not how we were working together um, uh, when, say I was trying to sort out my knee. So I do, you know, when I'm on this, uh, on the foot that had the problem with the knee and I'd hop to this side and hop to this side and use these, this different movements for stability and see if my, my knee could take it. And another thing that you just mentioned there was the idea that like, you know, in two weeks time, it might feel better. A week after that might be sore again. And you're kind of dejected, you know, the idea of like, I'm after going backwards when that not necessarily is the thing. Um, it might be just your knee telling you, you know, you're working on it. Like it's it's giving kind of the the idea. So where do you think that like if people come to you, where do you think that the approach to injury is at the moment for people who aren't, you know, knowledgeable in that sense? Yeah, so they uh, it kind of depends. So the the other thing to understand as well, just Fran says the pain, where it can come from as well. Um, understanding that everything influences all the systems influence each other is really useful I think sometimes because when you realize that it's not just the physical activity you do but it's also all the work related family stress related stuff as well that's going on it, you can be dehydrated bad night's sleep mm-hmm. circulation is worse and if your circulation is worse things are going to feel more restricted and tight you might not really notice that but you might just notice your pain is going on more easily so so other things come into it as well so for people coming in with an injury and they just don't know what's going on, I just spend a lot of time explaining it and I put it in layman's terms as much as I can. So I'll always ask them a bunch of questions about their lifestyle and where did the pain come from? When did it start? What's it feel like? Then we'll do an assessment. So then I'm trying to narrow down where is this pain actually coming from or why they got injured. If it's a specific injury like a calf uh, as you're out running, like why did the body suddenly get hurt in that run and not all the other ones you've done previously? Yeah. 
Um, so then we once we once I have those kind of clues, um, I'll give my kind of best clinical reasoning for what's going on and just explain. So now the body needs this to start with. Um, and I have a little chart on my wall now. It's just kind of there's an early phase, middle phase, late phase, rehabilitation steps to go through. So some people will be starting actually kind of mid to late. Some people mm-hmm. come in really early. They're very uh, responsible or they're scared. <laughs> of yeah. being quite scared that they've, they've started to get this pain. They've got a marathon in a month and they need to make sure it's okay. We just go. And um, other people will start early. Some people have waited, waited really long. So they're going to be in that early phase for a while mm-hmm. because it's become a pain that they've had for at least a year or more. That's, that's going to be harder to shift, especially if they've got it coming from places of stress and anguish something happened a little bit traumatic um, incident the year before whatever the case is and um, if they've had a lot of other injuries as well the body is less adaptable so it has less ability to get around the fact that another body part is hurt because it's already had restrictions so everyone will be different in that regard and just trying to explain to them this is this is what we're doing because this is what you need to start off with that's where we're going to go to and then we'll take it bit by bit. yeah i think that's where I noticed like the reassurance of it all helped me a lot. It's it it lifts um the mind, which is a, a horrible thing when you are injured where because where you go in your head is like I'm never gonna get back from this. Mm. But when somebody says to you, Look, this is this is this is exactly what this injury is, if you can narrow it down, and then you say it'll take maybe this length of time, we'll be grand, we'll get back to this thing, and all of a sudden this kind of there's a weight off you when you come out of the mm-hmm. because it's a lot of it is, you know, especially if you're someone who trains a lot, like if you think I'm, this is being taken away from me for, you know, two or three months, a lot of it is that it's like the, the idea that the kind of crushing, uh, idea comes in that you're not going to get the train. So I think you almost become a therapist uh, as well as a physical therapist, therapist, yeah. really. Yeah, you do. You really do have to, because pain science is such a big thing now as well. Mm. And we would have talked a lot about it in our final year in college. And um, so just understanding that there are so many other things that come into it, so come into play. And if a person is not very hopeful about their prospects and they're less likely to actually move if they're afraid of doing things mm-hmm. because they're afraid of the pain and they think it's going to come back. I, I'm always a little bit disappointed if a client comes back and says, oh, I just I had a bad day. And so I stopped doing all the exercises. And it's been like, like if it's only been a week, it's not too bad or whatever. But if I left them for two or three weeks and they didn't do the exercise then for like the two and a half weeks or whatever, it's like, I wish you would just message me. Yeah. <laughs> or like, you gotta be like the exercise I give at the start are designed to be ones that shouldn't aggravate. So if you get your sense, you know, you just need to actually find those movements that you can do again. And it is a learning journey as well along the way. Like it's you're with your body 24 seven and I'm only seeing you for less than an hour at a time so and I'm, it's, uh, you could be a complete stranger uh, first time meeting you and stuff so you, everything that you're you are experiencing along the way becomes relevant and you the more you kind of are willing to experiment as well the more data you get and uh, the more you're successful you'll probably be in the end um because it's definitely not as simple as a lot of people like to ask for steps and reps um as well and it's like well I you know do it until if you feel like you're improving is the yeah. best to do it. But I'll still say three by 10 or whatever for, <laughs> for some people who just need numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. Um, but really you're hoping they're like trying to just see improvements in themselves and, oh yeah, that feels really good actually. Or it's a bit too easy. I'm going to do more reps now because it, I've gotten to a certain level or whatever. Yeah. I, I wonder how often it happens that thing of, you know, someone goes away 
and doesn't follow up or doesn't do the things they're supposed to do. Because I, I when I think of um, when I started doing cognitive behavioral therapy and I was given this this homework and the start, I was like, I'm not, you know, yeah. I'm whatever age I was at the time, 30 or whatever. And I was thinking, I'm not going to do like homework. But then after a week or two of of maybe avoiding the, the issue, um, you know, and then going back and almost feeling like embarrassed and ashamed that I hadn't done it. Like, like why hadn't I done it? I didn't have an excuse. I started to think, but this is for me. So when I was doing the, the rehabilita- uh, rehabilitation for the injury, I was like, do it when you're like watching TV or, or when you're, you know, whatever it might be. There's so many things where we are like sitting around in the evening where we could do it, you know, just those th- those little kind of reps that you that you say, like that we could, you know, fit it in at that time of the day, because it's not for I'm not going to you for you. <laughs> like, I'm not, yes. And I'm not trying to impress you. I'm just trying to get better. You know, it's that's the whole point of it. If like, so what would a, a, like, I obviously introduced you as a physical therapist and a performance coach for people who don't know what is a performance coach? So essentially, I just want people to be able to perform their sport in particular. So strength and conditioning coach, I'd have to yeah. go with that title as well. But uh, I like to think performance is great because you can be a performer but not be competing in a sport. So like you can mm-hmm. think of yourself as just trying to be able to play with your kids in whatever capacity that is, run after them, chase them, play some tennis with them, whatever that might be. Uh, you can think about it as being a 70 year old who wants to be able to garden all the time yeah. as well. And she wants to be able to keep get up and down off the ground. So things like that as well really appeal to me. But on the more the stricter kind of sports performance side of things, what I'm basically doing is some personal training, some one on one training, but mostly online programs. Yeah. So I'll be writing out the strength conditioning programs for people to do on their own. And then they can check in with me whenever they like. Some people book in for full sessions. Some people have monthly memberships. I have just a handful of people on those. So they get a mixture of the physio and the SNC. So they're getting at both ends of the spectrum covered so that they can compete in their sports, hopefully in like not miss any games throughout the year, essentially, because they're keeping on top of this in both ways. Yeah, I, I, I saw you doing some cleans in, in, you know, in the videos that you do on Instagram and it, it got me kind of thinking, thinking about, you know, some something that that happened to me with the knee. So the knee was getting injured and you know, I was having trouble with um, tendonitis in the knee as well. So it was kind of like, not that it was sore, sore, but I was kind of frustrated with it because it was it was constantly annoying me. And then it's in the back of your mind. Oh, I have to do squats today. So that's going to be like something that I'm going to be irritating the knee. So one of my coaches said to me, look, we'll, we'll just work, we'll work on the muscles around the knee and we'll strengthen the muscles around the knee and which will take some of the pressure off it. And I was also at the time, look, well, I still am. <laughs> so mm-hmm. say at the time I was eating healthy, but you know, I kind of still am, but, but, the, but I was looking after myself. Um, and, and that idea never really came to my mind because obviously I didn't have a clue of the idea of strengthening around the injury once the injury is healed. It's 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 a it's a thing that like I all I thought about was once his injury is healed, hopefully he won't get injured again. It was never like what how can I step it up? Is that part of it that comes in for you? If say you you have a client that is doing the physio and maybe doing some strength and conditioning as well. Are we tying those two things together then? Exactly. Yeah. Right. So I want to know their history. I want yeah. to know what other injuries they've had in the past because uh, you know, your injury risk basically goes up with any sort of previous injury. So, um, but ideally, like if you really fully rehab this, then it should be easy to maintain it. Mm-hmm. But if, uh, sometimes people go through one thing after another for a year and when they're like, when they're not using any strength condition plans or whatever, and they haven't really gotten used to using a physio, 
So then they just they don't know what they're doing. Like you said, they keep resting and then they go back yeah. and then they get hurt again and it's something else. But then they rest and then they go back and then they realize, oh, OK, I think I need a, a bit of professional guidance here. So then we'll focus on their injury because a lot of people do come to me first because they have they can play, but they have some sort of a niggling injury that they're a bit concerned about or that holds them back. So they'll have something like shin splints, which means that every so often they just have to sit out of training for a week or two. And um, so they want to get a good off season in before training starts again. And so we focus on actually reducing that pain. If they're still having pain, then making it stronger to prevent it from actually coming back and building up their load progressively so that they're able to run pain free. And then we can focus more on the performance aspects. Now we will focus on that a lot along the way as well, but just the, the actual bias of the training will be more towards that injury, complete rehabilitation of it. And then just working on other things that we can around this in order to enhance their ability to perform. But a real strength and conditioning program is like 100%, you're able to do everything. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, you're, it's a higher intensity. So, but we're trying to get them to that point where they can just then focus on the strength conditioning aspect. And ideally then by the time they get through their first season where they've had very little injuries, then that second off season, they're able to just hit the road running with high intensity trainings because they've built up so much ability to tolerate it up to them. Excellent. Um, what's your position? This is just something that kind of uh, I, I notice in the gym a lot, and I kind of I don't really know. Maybe it's because this is what I just thought everybody should do, and it seems like the right thing to do. But people have told me since now. Listen, there's a lot of physical therapists in co- in that's in quotation marks in the gym. All right, they know a bit of everything. <laughs> but what's your position on stretching and before and after uh, training? Yeah, um, I like just static stretching or any sort of. Um, so, so okay. So if if we'll do if we'll do it for jujitsu, so a lot of mm. you know warm up for jujitsu is obviously necks, backs, mostly hips, obviously as well. But I think necks in particular, because if someone tries to choke you, you you obviously you're rigid everywhere, and you know a lot of pressure comes on the neck. And if they do choke, even more pressure comes on the neck. But um, I think. It's just interesting to see the kind of split. Now, I'm one of the older guys in the gym, not the oldest, but one of the older ones. But then, you know, a lot, a lot of young lads will just walk up the stairs and jump on the mats and start rolling. And then it's, you know, I think it's because I've just been since growing up and seeing on people on TV, sports people on TV are always stretching before um, they train and it, or a match or whatever it is. And it just seems the right thing to me, right thing to do for me. What would you think on that? I think if you're doing something that's a sport or whatever, you want like jujitsu rather than just weightlifting, for example, in the mm-hmm. gym, where with weightlifting, I still like to do a, some sort of mobility work beforehand to just make sure the joints are able to move in full range of motion and don't feel bad that day or freaky. Also increase your circulation, just get a little bit warm. And it's just good to be able to move well anyways. And it makes sense to put it at the start of the workout because rather than the middle or the end really so it's just kind of handy to place it there if you're doing something like jiu-jitsu or any sort of sport and running it makes sense to warm up if you're going to be going into that higher intensity mm. as well so or awkward positions where again yeah someone could be getting in a chokehold essentially or like really gripping you down um, and you're going to have to use a lot of force so that way your nervous system isn't shocked in the mm. certain positions that you'll get in suddenly now, with young people, of course, they're way more able to just go into it straight away. Yeah. And if they're, I'm not sure how young you're talking about, but like certainly children and stuff, 
they're not able to exert that much force on each other. Yeah. So if you're just fighting each other, there's not too much going through them. So it's really as you get older and bigger, and depending on the opponent's size difference and stuff like that, it's going to matter more. Um, if you're able to just warm up with the activity itself, so a lot of people do that, they'll just start with like deadlifts, like a light deadlift. Yeah. Next set is a bit heavier than next set. So they're doing their warm up in the exact movement that they're about to do. So that's another way to do it, but it just depends on the complexity of the movement that's coming up and yeah. how much of a stiff person you are as well. Whether it's an evening workout and you've just sat at a desk all day, mm-hmm. for example, is it cold outside? Are you physically cold when you came in? Um, do you just need a little bit of mental winding? Can it kind of be helpful for you to make a transition between what you were just doing before you go into this set so that you actually feel like you're, you're present if you like, but also just like you feel like you're ready for it and you've let go of any other sort of thoughts in the day and you get to enjoy the session fully by just doing a few simple things to start with. I think it's, oh, it, I would not have a black and white answer basically, yeah. um, but I would certainly think that uh, for adults doing mobility work is good for you static stretching doesn't really help a performance so there's no need to do that you might like to do it though and if you feel good doing it go first yeah i i think what for me it's kind of good practice for me i like doing it you know and and it just Mm -hmm. i just do it now because i'm used to doing it when i'm teaching the class in jiu-jitsu i'm i always make them do it because maybe it's just because i think it's good practice i don't know it doesn't like I know what you mean, like, so the youngest would be about 16 and then they'd be, you know, obviously getting older as they come in. So it just, it's good practice. When I'm teaching CrossFit, we do it slightly differently. Obviously, you obviously know a lot about this, the, the, like you mentioned, saying deadlift and just having a pipe where we're just having them use the, the, the deadlift position on the pipe, just to warm up the hamstrings and that, you know, to get the mobility going. Um, and, I, and, you know, it's, it's interesting the way you kind of separated the two because there is a completely different, things happening in those two sports but I always like you know even before I go for a run I'll just no, I'm not saying I'm go 20 minutes a warm up but just you know getting the legs moving and stuff like that so it's just in my mind I feel like I should but it's interesting that like I'm always like every time I hear one of the lads and they're not much younger than me the lads who would, who would say about the not stretching I'm like oh god but like yeah. you've kind of confirmed that it's okay like if it's up to yourself really it's I can't yeah. give out about that anymore unfortunately but uh, I'll find something else to give out but um, how um, how rewarding is th- this job for you do you really enjoy it? I do um, right. I moved into my own place this year as well actually which has made a big difference and I realised oh, I'm, I'm really enjoying it to the most that I can now and um, it's a lot more freedom that even though the place I rented before um, and I was there for five years, they were like really, they gave me a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. Like I was able to come and go when I wanted and, um, but it still just wasn't my place. So things weren't maybe set up the way I would have them set up and the rooms weren't necessarily laid out the way I would want them laid out and stuff. So it was just that little bit of a difference that now like just there's no one I have to go through for just yeah. asking for times and stuff and availability and I uh, can place things up wherever I want and I can yeah. equipment whatever equipment that makes sense for me and stuff and keep it whatever order I want as well so that's great but then the yeah working with people it's extremely nice especially mm. um when you hear back from them say um and they the other person needs a review as well which is really nice after you finish with them and they're just really happy with their results when you see people achieving in their sport like ultimate frisbee you mentioned as my main one and i work with a lot of athletes in that so then when they 
get successful in their season and they're like they send a little thank you message or whatever it, it's really nice to hear from them or just to see it I, I don't need a thank you I'll um just be really happy for them anyway um but in that sense it's really good it is tough because it's I don't know any therapist in the world who can help every patient 100% of the time or anything like that so it's tough when you really want to give more and you just don't know why the person isn't responding is the way that another person would maybe and um, but uh, also it's just very motivating then to keep learning and just constantly learning <laughs> but, but that's like you're the type of person that someone would want to go to because it's very easy to kind of get to a point where you're like oh this is great I I know everything now and I can just slay it down my tools and just <laughs> relax into it you know that that's not what that's not what I want to hear back. Do you know what I mean? I think, I don't think anybody should want to really hear that back is that the person is keep, keep, uh, learning, especially for those things that, like you mentioned, are harder to diagnose, like back, lower back pain or whatever it might be. They're tricky, you know, uh, body parts to kind of, uh, <laughs> diagnose. So, you know, it is difficult in that way, but you're, the, the place looks great as well. Like from what I've seen, it looks class. So I think it's, people love walking into somewhere that's like set up proper like it oh this is professional place oh wow um but we'll 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 get into a bit in the end um where people can find you and all that and we'll go through it all um so i had a friend of yours sarah melvin on uh on a on a segment which i was trying to figure out the name of and i remembered it it's called it was called live and joyful all right i thought i figured it out um, and, and Sarah came on to talk about Ultimate Frisbee. And at the time, I just thought like, well, I didn't know what it was, basically. And there's going to be a lot of people listening to this now <laughs> that doesn't know what it is. Can you kind of break down what it is and, and maybe, you know, some of the, the ways to win? Because everybody know in rugby, score a try, score a goal in football. What do you do in Ultimate Frisbee to win? Yeah, so uh, it's a little bit like scoring a try or in American football where you have to catch the disc, the frisbee, in an end zone. So there's an end zone on either end of the pitch. It's just marked out, and there's a central playing zone. You're trying to work the disc up from one end zone to the other to catch it in there, and then that's a goal. There are seven of you on each team. You're not allowed to run when the frisbee's in your hands, so you have to just uh, pivot around and try and find someone, a bit like you pivot in basketball. Um, so then you're allowed to pass off. You only have 10 seconds with the disc. If someone is, is counting from the other team, they'll count to 10. If you still have it, then you uh, have turned over the disc. If you drop it or it goes out of bounds or hits the floor or a defender runs through and actually hits it away, then that is a turnover and the other team gets to take possession. So it's really challenges you to try and be perfect <laughs> in a way because you can't scramble for the disc when it's on the ground or whatever. It's just yeah. taking possession to the other team. Um, you play games to 15 and they can be anywhere from 60 to 100 minutes long, depending on the tournament. Pretty, um, it's pretty intense as well. I watched it, uh, you know, a while ago when I was talking to Sarah, um, pretty intense sport too. It is. Yeah. Loads like, <laughs> and the problem is the intensity has gone up. And then the injuries go up as well, which mm. I suppose is not a problem in, in my <laughs> position. <laughs> but uh, it is, uh, it's gone up and up and up. And um, so there's, there are national teams as well who compete at the European World Championships every four years they're on. The speed of the game is what makes it really fun mm-hmm. because it's just, it's a lot of sprinting and hard turning, jumping, laying out, which means diving to the ground to try and catch the grid before it hits the ground. And um, it makes it very exciting. Where did you first kind of discover it? 
in college. My older sister, who I talked about earlier, the competitive one, Emer, <laughs> she played um, for and I just knew as, as soon as I got into college, I was going to do it. Now, there's a really fun social element to it as well. So that's really what appealed to me mostly as well and the fact that every sport that I had an opportunity to play when I was growing up I was like yep yeah, I'll play <laughs> so uh she was going abroad to tournaments like Berlin and a New Year's Eve kind of tournaments it was indoor beach tournaments like they'd throw oh. in the hall and stuff so um uh, so it would be party mixed with sports and obviously in college that's a really nice combination so as soon as I went to DPU I joined and I just played only a little bit because I was playing other sports in my first year but then slowly ultimately we took over so I kind of dropped the other sports and took it on more and more from second year on. I'm guessing it's an American sport. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they do they do love a bit of frisbee in America to be fair to them. But yeah. it's um you've been fairly successful with it. Yeah. So in our first bit of success um was in twenty fifteen with the Irish mixed team. We came second though. It was actually we did so well last season. We were winning other tournaments when we came to the European Championships. Unfortunately, Great Britain beat us um, in the final. But then our big success really came in 2019 with the Irish women's team, which Sarah Melbourne was captain for. And we took home the gold. And we, I'm pretty, Ireland's women hadn't been in the top eight before. So wow. to take home, like it was so great. <laughs> it was a really good campaign, really good celebrations afterwards as well. Got to go visit the president and um, so uh, a few other things in the papers and everything. And then last year, um, well, this is not my success, but uh, we had uh, a men's team actually win the European Club Championships, which is a big deal. So that's Ranla. So I work with them, actually. I am physio for some of them and then I'm, I give them their strength and conditioning plans to work with as well. It's um, It sounds like something that's growing, obviously, because, you know, with success, things will grow and people hear about it more because like, like I mentioned, I didn't know what it was. And when I spoke to, you know, people around me, when I said that Sarah was coming on and then I was talking to them about you coming on that, you know, this ultimate Frisbee and it, it grows with success. Like if they, if you hear that an Irish team or, um, you know, the Irish team or, or a club team in Ireland has won something, obviously people, you know, they're prick up their ears kind of a thing that they kind of get into it. And I think, the, we talk about a lot in jiu-jitsu and the fact you mentioned with your dad, you know, karate was the only thing around, you know, a number of years ago. And it opened up then to different kind of sports like judo obviously started becoming more popular and then jiu-jitsu now is probably becoming more popular as, as things go on. And it's the same that will happen with can, something like Ultimate Frisbee because it's completely different, you know, and I think people like that and it becomes uh, more reachable online like i can just type it into youtube and then you can watch a game of it and you're like that's you know uh that's a new thing on me but it looks great i've seen some weird stuff on youtube actually you're like well not you know obviously but i mean i'm talking yeah. about sports where i'm there's one where like i don't know if you've seen this one i think they mix mma and um like uh handball so it's it's like so they have like a, a football size yoke and they have to get it from one end to the other like you were saying but you can literally like jump on the person, like and hold them there, and it's it's so bizarre. I'll I'll try and think of the name, but I'll send it on to you because you have to have a look at it now that that I've said it. Because the, the you know once you're sitting on top of that person, they can't get up, like so then they're out of the game. So they're sitting on them while everything's going on around them. And I I but I but I thought to myself like I wouldn't do it, but I'd say if it came over here, people would be mad to do it, like because it's yeah. kind of yeah. it adds. 
the sporty with the athletic, which I know are two different things, but then, you know, the bit of aggression as well. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but I think ultimate Frisbee is one of those ones where it, it adds the sporty definitely with the athletic because of what you were saying, like people love diving around anyway, like, you know, just mm-hmm. to kind of get involved in that way. And I think, I, I think it's great. Like I, I, I find, I like when new sports come along, I suppose, and I want to hear people kind of talk to people about them and they're so passionate about it because then I can kind of nerd out on my own stuff and not feel as bad for boring people, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so so what's the story then with the with the season then? Is it something that goes on during the summer? Is it stopping the summer? How does it work? So it used to be you could there was no off season at all. <laughs> then people realised I'm exhausted and need an off season. So if you're a college player and you're a serious club player you don't get really any time off because the colleges come in around september september october so they keep going off seat to like the april-ish um, time of year and then that is when like march april is when the club season will really pick up it depends some people will start a little bit earlier january february and depends on the club itself if they want to or not but the big tournaments will all take place during the summer months up till september and then october the first weekend of october is when the european club championships take place they're on every year so there's one on in a couple of weeks yeah and then um, then right after that that's kind of the start of the off season it depends though as well if there are irish teams that year so like this last year just gone there was an irish uh, or sorry european championships were on again they were on on limerick by the way <laughs> okay but um they so you would be picking the teams then around october november so people are kind of going into trials and then they might get the off season depending on how the coach wants to plan out their season they'll get about eight to ten weeks off maybe before their next their first official training weekend which will happen once a month from january typically again depends and so it's a little bit different depending on what level you're playing at so you go when do you go again a couple of weeks so I took it really handy this year because <laughs> I decided to focus on my business. I didn't go yeah. for the Irish teams and I just played with one club because sometimes I, I, there's, there are mixed divisions and open and women. So open is essentially men's, but you can be any gender yeah. to play it. But um, then there's yeah women's and mixed. And I had been playing on women's teams and then I came back to my original mixed club Jabba last year and then I just decided to focus on Jabba the Hook this year and I started coaching them as well. So um, I just decided I didn't even attend foreign tournaments and um, both just investing a lot of money in the business as well this year. It just didn't, it wasn't something I could commit to. And so it's been great, but I'm going to be going into more of an off season now and then I'll decide what level I want to play at next year really. But the world championships are on in Australia next year. So no Irish teams are really going because okay. we're all paying it for by, out of our own money or and pockets and stuff. So it's just not easy, and we're not at the level the numbers like in terms of players in the country. We just need uh, a couple of thousand more would be great, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, we need like several hundred more, and so that there's isn't such a drain on the energy, and we have enough players at a few tiers. So there's more social play as well. And so then it's easier to kind of focus on the higher level. But at the minute, everyone's mashed in together, kind of mm. playing all the same all the same tournaments. And stuff. Uh, was it difficult to pull back last year? Obviously, the business is more important. I get that. But like, you know, just for yourself, was it quite difficult to do that? It wasn't. It wasn't. And um, I've kind of I've been doing it for a long time. So since 2008, that was my first Irish team in 2008. 
So, and I was pretty much on whatever big team that happened for a good few years after that. Bar the then, well, actually, I didn't miss a season with the Irish team with my ACL tear, but it took me out obviously for a year and a bit. Um, so then, uh, it was just really like uh, frisbee was coming first all the time, and um, I was, I would just say yes to every single tournament, any abroad and national, um, so. Then as well, because it had a couple of European medals, silver and the gold, it was like, well, I kind of did a lot. Last year, I did play Masters as well. It was mm. on in Limerick again. They just did such a good, good job hosting Masters. That's why they got the Euros bid this year to host as well. But um, so I did a lot. I was like, this, I did like Masters on home soil. And so did pretty well at that tournament, like not a um, medal result or anything, but we like I played well, the team gel- like gelled well and we got a good result. I think we seventh in the world. And um, so um, it's pretty decent and got played against some good American teams. So I felt quite fulfilled. Yeah. Um, and I really, I needed, if I was going to play, I would have needed a lot more novelty. Um, yeah, yeah. And there just wasn't that impetus and it wasn't that kind of, it was just a different vibe from the team that was going into it and stuff. Yeah, I get that. I understand. It's um, I suppose there's gets to a point where you're kind of like other things come before it, and you know it's in its levels of importance at that point. And you know, obviously, we need to pick the things that we need to pick. Like your business is something that's kind of growing, and you need to concentrate on that. Um, another question we always ask Fiona is um, uh, what do you like to do in your spare time? Spare time, I have a corgi that rules my life. (laughs) Corgi, okay. I have yeah, the corgi is a dog that is very bossy and stubborn and is at my feet right now. Um and uh he well we go on long walks a lot yeah. together. Um I like to what do I like to do? Um I like to do a little bit of like art and just kind of gardening as well. I got into this year. So um I like going out for a nice walk at the coast and Hope Hill is good, that's near me as well. Um and otherwise, reading, big into reading, yeah. so like my novels, but then I read my educational books as well. It should be way longer <laughs> to get through. And um, I think that, that's mostly me. Well, if, uh, if you've you've opened up the can a can of worms here that I need to I need to ask the question because I do this every time. I never I never like lead the the guest on, but if they bring it up, I need to follow have a follow up question. <laughs> do you have a favorite novel? Oh, a favorite. Um. There's a few, but one just jumped into my head. So I'll pick that. The Princess Bride. Yeah. See, that's the second time that's come up. Oh. And yeah, that's the second time that's come up in the podcast. Now, obviously, I've seen the film. Um, mm-hmm. Very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, no? Oh, the films are never as good. Only yeah, you see that. that that's <laughs> the, yeah, that's the thing. I haven't got to compare it to the book. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I do agree that obviously the books are always written in films. Bar the Godfather. Um, but... Yeah, I, I, I actually quite like the film, but it has come up a couple of times before. And it's when I, when I watch the film, I kind of think, what would the book be like? Mm. Do you know, because I don't I can't I can't really explain it, actually. How do I see the book? I don't really. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's why I think it doesn't work like because. Yeah. Convert something that's really witty and funny mm. in between the dialogue as well so yeah. but they're like how do you get that across and um, um, and they don't portray the book exactly as it's done and of course uh, film adaptations already do so 
even the princess isn't done the way I would like the way the book portrays. Like she's right. very silly in the, in the book and it's very like vain. But it's like it's just done well and um, and it's it's very amusing and I think it's well worth a read. I'm gonna read it because that's yeah. I mean if if a book comes up once I'm like ah oh, it must be good yeah but then if it comes up twice it's almost mm-hmm. a sign I don't believe in signs but it's almost like a sign <laughs> I I be I would be like it with with you know I read a lot as as much as I can I do find it very relaxing and I do have not that I read for work but I definitely read the kind of heavier books sometimes and they do take a while to get through but I do like to have in two on the go like where I can have the novel and then I can have the more serious stuff like I thought it was very serious coming up on the train there yesterday reading Samuel Beckett uh, Samuel Beckett novel kind of half of it is don't know what's going on but it's very enjoyable because it's it's a different kind of prose that I'm not used to so you're kind of like what is happening here <laughs> like I'll need to read back over that paragraph to kind of understand what's happening but then, you know, I like reading, you know, the silly stuff as well and the more kind of you know, things that you can kind of relax to. It's like people ask me um, why I watch so many horror films. Well, the reason I watch them is because I don't really need to think about them that much. So if I'm watching a horror or a comedy, um, I can be, you know, tired or I can be in a mood or whatever it is. I don't have to overthink it. But if I'm, re- if I'm watching something a bit more serious, then I, I feel like I need to be you know, I need to be in it, you know, I can't just knock on a three hour, you know, German film and then just sit there and kind of chill out. It's not that kind of film, you know, you need to be on your toes. So I, I do that with books as well. So I kind of, you know, but you mentioned um, art as well. Do you mean drawing, painting? What kind of stuff do you mean? Not very. I just mean, <laughs> I pick a picture, usually a cartoon or animation type thing, and I just copy it. So that's the extent of my artistic skill from a childhood. I never progressed further than that, <laughs> but I do enjoy it. I got back into it more during the pandemic um, and I just kind of want to make myself do it a little bit more because it's just one of those things where sometimes it's hard to get started on it, but then once you're doing it, it's always really enjoyable mm. and you come out of it just feeling like you just did something that was quiet and nice and you created something as well I think there's a nice little feeling with that like you just made this thing it's out in the page now and um, hopefully it looks well if it doesn't I just whatever it doesn't matter but I've usually got some criticisms around it but I'm like it's okay it looks good enough in this section (laughs) well that's the whole thing though it doesn't matter it's like you know I have a friend who's an art therapist and she's I'll try and explain a little bit what I kind of took from when she was on but she's brilliant but she talks just about like you know getting the page getting your supplies, whatever it might be, that you, whatever you're using and just drawing and that, uh, you know, mindfulness is obviously a massive thing anyway for all of us. But like, it's that whole thing about art. Is it is it good or is it bad? Or is it, you know, can does it have to be the black and white situation where it's good or bad? Or can it just be like quirky or can it be, you know, there's so many different things it can be. Like, we're not all going to be perfect artists. Like Picasso, I'm not even sure he was that good. That's so controversial. <laughs> No, I I don't mean that, obviously. But I mean, like, you know, compared to others who look like Carvaggio or something, that's like mm, yeah. the, the the lines and the way he uses light and all that. And you're kind of going, geez, how does anyone even think of that? Like in the 1500s, whenever it was, 1400s. Um, and then you look at Picasso and you're like, yeah, that's a bit shit. But like, it's not like it's just it's different. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what it is. So you get to interpret it yourself. Yeah. You decide. That's the whole thing about art. Like you say whether it's good or bad. Yeah. You think about your own things as well. And it, and that goes for every art. That goes for books and goes for films as well. It's like the, one of the worst films like I could really like and you could hate it. Like the worst film ever made. I don't like bringing this up all the time, but you know, I do get some thrill from it is, um, 
uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's the worst film that's ever been made, okay? But most people love it. <laughs> so I'll continue to wave the flag of how it's the, it is singularly the most annoying character in movie history. But people will go like, ah, oh, well, he's good in it. Like, he's fun and all that. And it's like, he's obnoxious, you know, but yeah. kind of having a conversation with myself here, Fiona, I apologize. <laughs> but, um, but besides all that, let's get to an important part of this. Um, where can people find you? Obviously, your business, both physically and then, you know, online and things like that. Yeah, so my practice is in Rohini, Dublin 5. And uh, it's in the Rohini Shopping Centre. I'm on Google Maps. You can find that. The, I call it a top... So it's therapy for optimal performance. And my name is Fiona Myrna. So if you at Fiona Myrna for Instagram, you'll find me there as well. Uh, my website is top-therapy.com. Excellent. Go and have a look. Uh, see if there's, you know, some, I think it's, it's a place that would draw me in because of its tidiness. I'm very, I'm, <laughs> a, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for tidiness and, and neat lines as well. Mm-hmm. I'm, I really love it. But listen, people, Go and have a look, uh, look up Fiona, um, have a look on Instagram, obviously. And if you're in the Dublin area, even if you're not in the Dublin area, if you're in Athlone, where I'm from, go and have a, you know, have a chat with Fiona. If you are having some problems, like she, I think she, Fiona broke it down very well there about the idea of, uh, with pain and things like that, how we can get better. And we just need to, uh, well, we, first of all, we need to listen to our physical therapist and actually do the stuff that we're supposed to do. But yeah, we'll go along from there. Fiona, um, You've been a, a fantastic guest. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been great. Oh, you're more than welcome. Listen, hang around me for a second. I'll do the usual closing out of this. We'll get a photo and then we'll go and have something, go and have our dinner or something, you know. It's, that, it's nearly that time. Um, I think there's Ireland are playing today, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Oh, yeah. Well, half of Black Rock will be in the pubs now watching that. Um, all right. So uh, thanks very much to John for, for the tech stuff. Um, I always thank my mum, my dad, my granddad, Jaron Calvin, for all the reasons I mention every episode. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel if you would. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and X. Um, oh. It's so silly. Um, we're also on uh, Spotify, Apple, Anchor, Google Podcasts, etc. All those ones. And uh, yeah, obviously, everyone, thanks very much for watching or listening wherever you did so. And once again, Fiona, thanks a lot. Thanks, uh, Everyone else, we'll see you next week. Bye.